0: Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, the Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. NABIP submitted a comment letter earlier this week in response to a proposed rule by the Treasury Department, DOL and HHS, on short-term plans fixed indemnity plans, and accepted benefits coverage. The proposed rule also included a request for information on level-funded plans broadly. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, your favorite NAPIP staff members, John Green and Michael Andell are here to review the proposed rule and our comments. So it's been a while since the last time we reviewed a comment letter here on the Happy Hour. First off, let me state that you can read our comment letters on NAPIP.org under Advocacy, under Policy Documents. This comment letter is also in this week's edition of the Washington Update. That being said, would you mind explaining the importance of these letters and how we craft them?
1: Well, sure. Thanks, Dan. So we really reach out to experts like yourself, whoever works in these particular market segments for their expertise, because the thing that we're known for on Capitol Hill is our understanding about how markets work. And I think that is a unique aspect of our professional association that we're able to bring to light how policy decisions in Washington affect different market segments and how employers are very different. They're not a one size fits all and that they serve different types of employees. And I think that's what gets at the heart of our comment in this round that we're going to talk about today.
0: Let's begin with how the proposed rule would regulate short-term limited duration insurance plans. So what is the current structure of short-term plans? And then what is the Biden administration proposing?
1: What they're proposing is going back to the Obama era timelines for short-term limited duration plans for three months. And you could extend it under the Biden proposal by another month. So only four months which we always felt was too short. It didn't allow for people who were in between coverages in particular. When the Trump administration came in, they extended that time by quite a bit. The Trump rule said a year with continuous opportunities to extend them up to three years based on the state that you're in. And we felt that that duration was actually too long. We've always supported a middle ground here, where it would be for six months with one renewal for one year total. We think that this pathway actually is an advantageous to us in terms of our other comments, which we feel are even more important, specifically on with regard to indemnity plans and how they fit into the healthcare structure which Michael will go into more detail. I think that if we had said, oh, well, we should have just kept the Trump era timelines, that they would have more than likely not given as much credence to the rest of what we had to say. But in fairness, what we're proposing is what we've always advocated for all along, a middle ground between those two opposite poles.
0: Now, let's move on to the accepted benefits piece. This area of the proposed regulation deals with accepted benefits under the ACA, specifically fixed indemnity plans. For those who are unaware, fixed indemnity plans generally pay a fixed amount of money for specific health care services and are often offered to group plan participants in addition to an ACA-compliant plan. So what is this draft regulation proposing to do in this area, Michael?
2: Thanks, Dan. What the administration's proposing to do is make some overarching changes to indemnity plans. As you know, currently, employers offer these in their open enrollment period. So they're offered at the same time as their major medical coverage for employees to choose on their own how to supplement overlay their own insurance. That's, That's why it's a voluntary product. What the administration's proposing to do is severely restrict it, creating new roadblocks for offering these coverages. For example, they're concerned about people using indemnity plans to create like a backdoor healthcare plan, mimicking a healthcare plan. And an example that they give, they use a MEC, Minimum Essential Coverage Plan, that only offers Preventive services and how people will pair or market these plans to pair up with the MEC plan, where it covers lots of different services throughout a medical visit to almost mimic a health plan. But by doing so, they go so far as they end up restricting any sort of option for an employee to pick this for themselves because they're so broad with it. Any sort of coordination, the way they determine coordination, would basically ban these services or or these plans for any type of insurance. So, for example, if you pick plan on your health insurance and then through a cafeteria plan, you add the indemnity plan, by their definition, you're trying to coordinate the two insurances, which they have nothing to do with each other. They're just offered at the same time. So that might be a little confusing. But what they're trying to do is get a a small problem, which is a marketing problem, of basically taking stripped-down insurance and selling it with indemnity plans. But what they end up doing is looking how people offer all the plans at the same time at work and saying you can't do that.
1: But I think it's worth noting who is opting for these sorts of plans.
2: From our members, the majority of people that select these plans are people who maybe work Hourly wages, wages on the lower spectrum of the scale, because the coverage that they're offered at work doesn't cover everything. It, it, does, it is ACA compliant plans, but there's a lot of out-of-pocket costs. And remind yourself that indemnity plans are income replacement. That's, that's why they're considered an accepted benefit in the first place. So by removing this option or making it very difficult to sell this option at the work site, the people that are going to hit the, get hit the most are people that need that help the most because their out-of-pocket costs will, will impact them more. In addition, the administration proposes to not allow indemnity plans to be sold where they can reimburse you based on uh, incidents, so the severity of the incidents when this is really what gets at hurting consumers. So if you take the option off where you can't offer an indemnity plan to pay for the severity of a sickness or a disability or an accident, then you're basically just offering them a cut per day service, regardless of what happens when you go to the doctor. So 250 bucks a day, for example, might help someone who just goes to the doctor for a sprained ankle if you go in for a heart attack, $250 bucks does not do anything. And so that drives people to dire circumstances with their out-of-pocket costs. So they're really trying to go at this so broadly, it, it creates a lot more confusion and reduces options for consumers.
1: I think it's also important to note that as we were talking about populations that opt for these are people who would not otherwise take any coverage at all. So they would be bare. And so this gives them at least some coverage, which is better than no coverage. And so I think that it it speaks to a certain market segment. And I thought that the goal here of the ACA was to gain coverage for everyone. Our association has always been about choices and having more choices, not taking choices away. It's not suitable for everyone, and we wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But what we found is there are niche employers who have employees to whom this is very appealing and affordable.
2: Yeah, John, and NABIP does support full disclosure both for short-term plans and indemnity plans so consumers know exactly what they're purchasing. And we would prefer that everybody has great insurance at work. Just gets into the affordability question. So we do offer, based on the example, that if the agencies specifically address the MEC plans that only offer preventive services, then that might get at the question. But if an employer is offering something more that's an ACA compliant plan, then please allow indemnity plans to be offered as a way for the workers, the employees, to help pay their out-of-pocket costs. Because what they'll end up doing is offering nothing so that they won't do anything on the affordability costs and there'll be a handful of people protected. And then to further complicate this, is they get at the IRS question about, is this considered income based on how you pay for the indemnity products? Do you pay for it pre-tax or after-tax? That's going to create a whole new headache for employers because they're going to have to create a new substantiation procedure for the indemnity coverage. So that what that might do is create some employers just to say, well, that's too much. Paperwork for us, we're going to drop it. So, you're going to push more people to limited options and then more out of pocket costs.
0: Now, let's move on to the last part of this proposed rule, which is an RFI on level funded plans. So, what types of questions did the agencies ask here, and how did NABIP respond?
1: Well, they asked quite a few specific questions. I think that one of the important questions they asked is, Why are employers interested in level funding in the first place? Well, the rising costs of insured plans, the lack of transparency of employer groups claims reporting, the lack of cost containment regarding pharmacy costs, and the ability to receive a portion of all claimed reserves are expected claims are all reasons why small employers are considering level funding options. They're finding that the costs are uh, overall lower the small group and you know small group market is hanging on by its fingernails we've seen a great decline in uh take up of coverage because costs are rising as i started out by saying that fully insured plans costs are are rising so the ability to do a level of funding provides a predictable and sustainable more
0: sustainable way for employers to offer coverage Do we know why the agencies ask these questions about level funded plans?
1: Well, I think that they had failed to ask these questions years ago when they were putting the ACA together. And now, because of the rising interest by small groups to use this option, they're kind of curious as to why they would be doing so. And trying to see if whether they are robust enough and adequate and meet, you know, ACA compliance and, and, and that sort of thing. So they just think that maybe it's an end around, but it's, it's really straightforward. And these questions have come up in the committee hearings as well. In the education workforce, level funding was a big topic of discussion in that hearing where our own Marcy Stroud testified from Iowa about and answered quite a few questions about level funding and how they serve the
0: market. It is now time for the healthcare happy hour toast of the week. So who are we toasting to this week?
1: We're toasting our members, you guys, for helping us prepare this comment letter. It required a lot of comments and data from you, which you readily shared. And without you, this letter wouldn't have been possible. I want you to know that we shared it with our sister agent groups who are also commenting on the letter and I'm hoping they take some of our ideas as well as ACLI and their allies because we're all in this together. Cheers.
0: Thank you for joining us for NAPIPS Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NABIP.org.